Well, good morning, Arbor, everyone in this room and <clears throat> everyone watching. You know, before I start, I want to do how I started in the first service and talk about how big of a Sunday this is. Church, we as a staff and our tech team back there have been working just incredible, and I mean incredible, I mean, I mean incredible amount of hours to be able to just do this live switching, to have this day where we get to practice for one day uh, this month having the regathering. And this morning, like, just to show you like, how important this morning was, as you guys know, I'm not a Seahawks fan in the slightest. I am a 49ers fan. That Jeff Stamler, huge Seahawks fan, I haven't even made fun of him this morning yet because of how important this day was. Don't worry, Jeff, it is coming. I know you looked at me when the, it was brought up. But but this day has been big. We have been excited for it. And just to see it happen, to see it happen successfully, first service was amazing. Prayer team, uh, please pray that this is going to be successful in this service. But I want to start by asking you guys a question. And like look deep into your life, uh, remembering something in the past. But have you ever been inspected or audited before? And what I mean is, have you ever had somebody with like a clipboard just watching you, making sure that you're doing your job or or representing the company incredibly well, where it's a little bit nerve-wracking. See, I had this when I was a CNA, when I worked in a nursing home. You know, being a CNA was hard enough, but the time that state was coming to visit our facility was probably the most stressful time of my life because we, as, the, as CNAs, represented this company, represented the facility. And if we looked bad, they looked bad. So they would spend hours drilling us and coaching us, making sure that we knew how to do our job, like the interview didn't do that, and make sure that we knew the proper way to answer questions because they were stressed out that we would make them look bad. So we were stressed, but the most stressful part was not knowing when state was showing up. So we always knew like around the months they were coming, but we never knew the day. And when state would show up, when that day would come, we were all on our best behavior. We were making sure that, you know, we looked good, that we answered the proper questions. And if anybody made a mistake, oh, it was known. Everybody would knew if somebody made a mistake and represented bad. But see, I asked that question for you guys to think, have you ever been inspected or audited before, like where you just kind of had your life under a microscope? But my next question, based upon that one, is can you imagine if someone came and followed you around one day to see how your Christian faith was going, how you were doing with living up to the biblical truths. Like think about that person in your life who, who is a big part of your conversion story, a big person in your life that, that is a part of your testimony. What if they were a little bit worried about about maybe the opposition that you were feeling or the pressure that you were feeling from our culture today. And they're a little bit worried that that has gotten in and maybe have tainted the truths and maybe a little bit afraid that you're not walking with the Lord anymore. So this person sends somebody to watch you, to examine you, to study you, to make sure everything's going okay. And they would go back and report to this person. My question is, how would that report go? Would that person be encouraged? If they wrote back to you, would it be a great letter? Or would you be a little, little worried? 
See, I bring this question up because that is the context of the sermon today. In the context of us starting the, the, the series that we're starting, the uh, Letters to a Young Church. And this is a series that we as a staff have been excited to do for about a year now. Because the truth is, at Arbor, we are still a young church. And we are about to celebrate our fourth birthday. We are still young. So as a staff, we wanted to look at the letters because we believe this, and this is a point of the whole series. We believe that the truths of then are the truths for today. I'll say that again. The, the truths of then are the truths for today. What Paul had to say to, to the early churches, we can get some great truths for us as a group, for us as a church to live by. So that's why we want to be in this letter. That's why you're excited to, to look in this letter because we are an early church. We are a young church. So it would be wise of us to look at how Paul wanted to help his early churches to help us as a young church. So today, we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians. If you guys have your Bibles, you can get there. And we decided to start with 1 Thessalonians because this is believed to be one of the first letters that Paul wrote. And to, believed to be one of the, or we know to be, one of the, church, one of the first churches that Paul started. To, to, to rewind, when Paul was converted to Christianity, when Jesus came and literally opened his eyes, Jesus chose him for a task. And that task was to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul lived up to his calling. And he would go on missionary journeys, going to different areas and spreading the gospel. Now on his second missionary journey, him, Silas, Timothy, traveled through Thessalonica. But before that happened, they were in Philippi. And in Philippi, as they were spreading the gospel, a lot of people started getting angry and started an uprising. And after being very aggressive, pretty much kicked the three out. They asked them in an aggressive way to leave, which they listened. And through that, they traveled to Thessalonica. In the book of Acts, it tells us that these three were there for three Sabbaths, proclaiming Jesus in their synagogues. So for, they were there for about three weeks getting to know these people, sharing the gospel, living up to the calling. And in verse 4 of Acts 17, it tells us that some joined the faith, as did a great number of devout Greeks, which is a big deal. Because these Greeks are, are, are letting go of the faith that they had their whole life because of Jesus. They're letting go of their idols because of Jesus. The, what, what Paul was doing was working. But, like it normally happens when we're preaching the gospel, it made some people jealous and made some people angry. It made the Jews jealous and angry at this time and again caused a mob, an uprising and persecution and we're becoming even more aggressive. Through that, the three had to sneak off in the middle of the night. And then they just continued on their journey where a few weeks later, they land in Corinth. But Paul could not stop thinking about this church. He was worried about this church because he knew the opposition and persecution that he himself felt. So he was worried that this church was not living to those values anymore. He was afraid that, that the, their family members or the leaders of that area 
have just ruined the gospel. So how, what Paul does is send Timothy back to report on how they're doing. He sends Timothy to inspect them, to make sure they're still living those values, to, make, to see if they're staying strong. So of course Timothy goes and watches and observes, and when he feels like that he's, he's gathered an accurate report, he goes back to Paul and delivers it. So our letter today in 1 Thessalonians is Paul's response to that letter. So that's what we're looking at. And then what I'm going to do is answer three questions that I believe that you could ask yourselves in every letter in the New Testament um, that Paul writes or anybody writes. But what I'm asking today, specifically with the Pauline letter, is number one, what did Paul say? Like how did Paul, what did Paul say in re- in regards to that report. Number two, why did he say it? And three, what was he trying to accomplish? So let's begin with that first one. What did Paul say? Now the question of the three is the easiest to answer because what I'm going to do is just read to you those first 10 verses of what Paul said. And and as we continue the series, if you uh, join us every week or listen every week, then you'll eventually hear everything that Paul had to say. But this morning, I'm going to just share the first 10 things. So if you guys have your Bibles, please read with me and see how Paul responds. Paul, Savanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you become imitators of us and of the Lord. For you receive the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sent forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who deliver us from the wrath to come. So that's what Paul said. This whole letter is a response from Timothy. And why I want to begin with the, with the first 10 verses is because like any works of writing, whether that's a, a letter we receive, an email, or a text, we can kind of get the sense, the, the mood of the letter within the beginning. I mean, think about it, a a student who is applying for a college that they want to go to. When they get the response from that college, they know within the first couple of lines what kind of letter it's going to be. Or when we see somebody get a text message and it's a very long bubble, we can tell that this person has probably done something wrong. And we're also just a little bit nosy. But when we can see that, we, we can sense of what's going on. 
And when we read the first 10 verses of this letter, we can tell why Paul wrote it. So let's answer that second question. Why did he write it? He wrote it to encourage this church, the church in Thessalonica. See, the report that came back was a great report. The inspection, the the audit that they received came back favorable. But know this, you know, this, this report, this inspection, it wasn't a test for this church. It wasn't a test that they could either pass or fail. Paul was just concerned. So he sent Timothy just to let him know, are they staying strong? Are they okay? And they are staying strong. They are doing amazing. And, and Paul is thankful for it. That's what he says in verse two. Paul says, we, the three, give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Paul is thankful for this church, thankful for what's going on. And that can bring up the question, like, why is Paul thankful? What does he have to be thankful for? And I think Paul is just thankful for being part of this church, for witnessing what is going on. You know, it reminds me of like a parent who gets to witness their child's first steps, which is a big deal, or gets, gets to be part of that first time out, or the first time they hit a ball, or first time they make that bucket, or maybe the first time they experience heartbreak. Or fast forward, when, when the parent gets to see that child become a parent. You know, you're just thankful. Thankful for the good, thankful for the bad, thankful for just being part of that journey. Paul right here is thankful. He's thankful for this church and what is going on in Thessalonica and around. And, and what he's thankful for and what he's remembering are three virtues that I believe Timothy had to bring up, that Timothy brought up and saw examples of this. And those three virtues are faith, love, and hope. And, and you know, some of you might have this up in your kitchen or, or in, a, in your living room or maybe even your bathroom. Faith, love, and hope. The things that this church, the church of Thessalonica, are living out. He is thankful for them being strong, but he is thankful for those three virtues. And these three virtues appear repeatedly in early Christian teachings, whenever the ideal Christian character is described. And this is the first example that we see of it. You know, Paul mentions this quite a bit, but to bring up two examples, he he says these three words again in verse five through eight. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And we see it again in Romans 5, 1 through 5, where he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, the the Thessalonian church was living out these three virtues, faith, love, and hope. But I want to dig deeper into those words 
Because Paul puts attributing factors into these words. He puts other things with it. It is not just faith. It is the works of faith. It is not just love. It's labor of love. And it's not just hope. It's steadfastness of hope. So I want to break down each of those so we can see how this church was living. And that first being the works of faith. Now, I love the way the NIV translates this. The NIV says, faith Work, sorry, works produced by faith. Which means that because of the faith in Jesus, this church is doing amazing things around them. Amazing things through them. Because of the love of which they received from Jesus, it's causing them to, to do amazing things. It's not the other way around. They're not performing good works to get the love of Jesus, to know Jesus. Which is most likely the faith system that they grew up in. So this is counterculture to them, that they have experienced Christ, and it is causing amazing things through them, in them and through them. Works of faith. And the second one, the next virtue is labor of love, which I honestly respect the way Paul writes this, because come on, sometimes loving everyone is a very difficult thing to do. See, the best way I heard this explained is this. The love of the Thessalonian believers expressed itself in hard, strenuous, and exhausting labor. Far from being simply an emotion, love sought the best for others and labored for others' benefit. That's how this church was being recognized. It says that love is far from being simply an emotion, that it is for the love of others, and the benefit of others. That's what this church is being known for. That's what Paul is remembering, that they're loving so hard, but it's for others. Oh, isn't that a beautiful thing, Arbor? To, to just, to, to, to have that hard love and to be recognized for it. And the third, the last one, is the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this church, like the three, was living and striving through tense op opposition and persecution. But they were okay with it because of their hope in Jesus Christ. Because that they knew that they were going to see Jesus face to face one day. You know, in Arbor, we say it a lot, to, to, to live with heaven in mind. To live like we know that we're going to see Jesus. And that's what this church is doing, which is helping them get through the persecution that they may be experiencing from their family, from the leaders, just the people around them, to stay strong in the faith. So that's why Paul wrote this letter, to encourage their faith, their love, and their hope, their works of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. That's why he wrote it. But let's answer the next question. What was he trying to accomplish? What was the purpose of the encouragement? And see, we can see this in the next few verses, what he was trying to do. We see, what Paul, we see that Paul had more to say. Because Paul is not just a planter, not just a preacher, but he's also a pastor. Which means that he truly cares about this church. And not just care about the short term, but he's, he cares about them for the long haul. For the entirety of their life and their faith in Christ. I, the best way I can explain it is 
is when we think about loved ones that we know, family members that we have, who have been sober and clean, and whether it's been a short time or whether it's been a long time. You know, it's great to encourage them, to say that they're doing a great job, but to reinforce it, to keep making it stick, to, make, to cement it, you know, it's also great to remind them of, of how inspiring they are for the people around them to let go of the vices that have once held them, that, that what they have gone through doesn't just affect them, but those around them. And that's what Paul is trying to accomplish with this letter is, is to reinforce what their faith, what their love, and what their hope is doing and how it is spreading to the places around them. That's what Paul says in verse four. I'm gonna read verse four through eight. He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not to say anything. See, Paul is seeing how this church is. And he's trying to reinforce them. And to be honest with you, this kind of like a validation to himself. Because when that report came back, he was excited for this church. But it became like a validation to him because as he is seeing the work that he knows, he knows that God has chosen these people through the love of Christ, that this church has been chosen to do some amazing work for the name of Jesus. They have been selected. And that's what Paul, that's what Paul sees in them. He, it's, it's just honestly a confirmation, a validation in him that this church is going to do and is doing some incredible things in the name of Christ. And he's reminding them that we see it, but it's the, it's the love of God that you have been chosen, which is so different again from this culture, because this is a culture of petitioning and, and crying out in hopes that the gods receive pity on you. But in Christianity, what they're experiencing is the love is already there. The love has been given to them from Christ, and there's, there's really nothing that we can do to earn that love, and there's nothing that we can do to lose that love. And this church has experienced that love, and they are spreading that love with their faith, the love, and the hope. And what Paul is also seeing, what also Paul is, is seeing reinforced in him and reinforcing as them is that they have now become imitators of the three, but most importantly, imitators of the Lord. See, the Greek word here for imitators is the same as the word that we get mimic from. So when he says they become imitators, they're saying they become mimics. They've become copiers of the Lord. And specifically what it means here is that they are sharing and imitating and copying the Lord in the suffering and persecution that they are experiencing. They have endured the opposition, like the three. And which is amazing because according to, you know, many texts in the New Testament, suffering is a component of Christian discipleship. You know, as the Lord suffered, so does his followers. 
And like Jesus told his disciples, the world first hated me, it will hate you. That's the Brian translation of it. And these disciples are receiving that persecution. Which means the church church is receiving the persecution, which means they are sharing, they are imitating in the Lord. Which again is encouraging to Paul, but wants to reinforce, wants it to keep going. But as they are imitating the Lord, they are also becoming an example through Macedonia and Acacia. But not only there, but for the churches everywhere. That gospel is spreading everywhere. And I love the term uh, when it says that not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, and it says, but your faith in God has gone forth. You know, this is one of the few times that this, this word is, is there. Uh, the Greek word is there. But when we look at other Greek words uh, or other works of literature that had the same Greek word, what it really means is, is the gospel is going forward like a clap of thunder. That was a way better clap than the last one. That actually hurt. Like a clap of thunder. Thank you. You guys can all clap. One, two, three. That was good. But the gospel is going out like a clap, like the sound of a trumpet. Everyone can hear it so the, so the three don't have to say anything because the Thessalonian church is doing it. The Thessalonian church, their, their faith, their love, and their hope is spreading so far that people are coming to Christ and through all their opposition, through all their persecution, which church, doesn't that make the hardships and suffering worthwhile? that people get to know Christ, that more and more people are filling the kingdom of heaven, that more souls are being saved. Doesn't that make everything worthwhile to see people believe in Jesus? That's why we do what we do. That is what we are called to do. And that is why Paul wrote this letter to this church to let them know that they are doing amazing things. So keep it up. Keep going. It is It is a letter of encouragement. But I want to bridge it for us this morning. I want to, I want, I honestly want to look at these 10 verses and think, man, what can we as Arbor, what can we as people get from this? And what I want to do is I want to look at ourselves. I want to inspect ourselves. I want to audit ourselves and ask ourselves this question. Are we a church of faith, love, and hope? Are we a church of faith, love, and hope? And when I say church, I'm not specifically talking about Arbor. I'm talking about us as a group of people in Woodenville. Are we known for our faith, our love, and our hope? Are we a group of people demonstrating our works of faith? Are we doing that hard, long, strenuous labor of love? And are we standing strong in hope that we are going to see Jesus face to face? And if your answer to me is, Brian, I think I could do better. Well, great. So did Paul. You know, Paul didn't end the letter here. He went on for four more chapters to help this church. We all can do better. We all can get better at this. But when we are actively getting better, I I want us to hear this. This is what I really want us to hear. When we get better, we can make a difference in our community, in the community around. When we start acting like the chosen people, when we start acting like the chosen people loved by God, then our works of faith, 
are happening in our community. And when our works of faith is happening in our community, then the people around us get to experience the work of Christ. I say this in our student ministry a lot. I let our leaders know, and I want to let you guys know, that Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he trusted his disciples with his word. He trusted his disciples with his work. He, just, he trusted his disciples with his love. Which means us as disciples, us as followers, we're representing Christ out there. So when we do works of faith, people are experiencing the work of Christ. When we are laboring, when we are doing the hard work of love in the community, then people get to experience the love of Christ. And when we stand strong, when we hope, when we live life with heaven in mind, when we live like we are going to see Jesus face to face, we can show people why we can get through the stuff that's happening in our world how we are able to get through the stuff that happens in our life when we stand strong. And people want that. People want a sense of grounding that we can offer them if we are demonstrating our faith, our love, and our hope. So let's be a church of faith, love, and hope. Let's be a group of people who are known for our faith, love, and hope. Let's be an example for, the, for Woodenville, the area around, and everywhere, like the Thessalonian church. And if you're wondering how, how can I be better? If you want some practical steps, well, the first thing I would say to you is continue with us in this letter and see what else Paul had to say, because he's going to help us. He's going to help us. He's helped the church how to move forward. He will help us how to move forward. The next thing I want you to do is, you know, talk as a small group, talk as a, a family, maybe at lunch today or the, your friends around you of how, you, you, how we all could be better. You know, we are solution-focused people. Let's find the solution. But the third, if I had to give you like one big thing that I was thinking of this week and the week before, is maybe we can serve somewhere. Whether that's at Arbor or whether that's and in Woodenville or the surrounding areas out there in the community. But when we step out into the world and we serve others, then we are living like Christ. When we're out there doing the good work, when we're out there doing hard works of labor, of love, when we are standing and showing people our hope in Christ, then who knows how many people we can see come to Christ. But we gotta go out there we got to be Christ's example out there because he is trusting us, Arbor. And let's not let our Lord down. Let's be a church of faith, hope, and love. Jesus, I thank you for being the example of us, being the examples of the church in Thessalonica. But thank you for the truths, the truths that have stand firm for the 2,000 years that they've been available. And thank you that we can dive deeper into your letters to find the truth for us today. Lord, speak to us this week. Speak to us as the weeks to come as we dive deeper into these letters of how we can be a church, a group of people who are known for our faith, our hope, and our love. Lord, give us some insight. Give Spirit, speak to us of things that we can do to be better. Because God, you're
Your gospel is everything. And we don't want to hold on to it. We want to share it. We want to spread it. So that nobody else has to say anything, like Paul wrote. To help people turn from their idols and worship the true God. So when that day comes, and we see you face to face, that we are ready. Amen.